Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobral. Cycling is often seen as a participation sport for the masses, and in recent time, it's become one of the most popular activities in the world. But using cycling and sport for development initiatives has received less attention and research. And so bicycles for development is the topic for this episode. And joining us to discuss this is someone who's published several articles on social entrepreneurship and sport for development. He's a researcher at York University in Canada. It's Mitch McSweeney. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here today and uh, looking forward to talking with you. Well, I'm looking forward to talking with you as well. So thanks so much for joining us. Mitch and co-authors Lindsay Hayhurst, Brian Wilson, Emerald Bandolis, and Kelvin Luang recently published Colliding Mandates of Social Enterprises, Exploring the Financial Strategies, Environment, and Social Market Tensions of Bicycles for Development Organizations. Now, Mitch, there's been a significant amount of research in sport for development. We've discussed it on this podcast. We've had so many uh, publications in sport management review, and rightly so. But how did this study help our understanding of the area? For this study, you know, we were looking at kind of two areas of sport for development, one of which was more social entrepreneurship, which has grown in recent years, really, and sport for development and peace, that sector has been recognized as having a number of social entrepreneurial organizations or individuals who act as social entrepreneurs. But there's still some more work required to really understand more about social entrepreneurship. Particularly, we are looking at uh, more of the institutional environment, the social, the cultural um, context in which sport for development organizations work and, and how that influences their social entrepreneurial strategies. And then second was there's been some trends recently in sport for development and peace that start to kind of scholars arguing to look more at alternative or non-structured sports or even physical activities or physical cultures, such as bicycling, which might not fall under those traditional sports, which uh, have been studied in sport for development. So often football slash soccer, you know, rugby. And so we kind of started the study actually five years ago now, um, looking more at what we call the bicycle sport development movement where a number of organizations similar to sport for development organizations use bicycles as the tool for development. And so that's where kind of we envisioned the study and started to look more closely at those social entrepreneurial organizations in the bicycle for development field, which I'll probably just refer to as as BFD, so I don't have to say it so much in in this podcast. That's fine. BFDs is great. Bicycles for the <laughs> development. But it, it's so fascinating, isn't it? We're surrounded by cycling and, and, and bicycles. You know, we see it all the time. But there's this part of us that, oh, hang on, we can use this for in sport for development initiatives. But what made you think this was a, an important research topic? Yeah, I think this uh, is particularly important, most especially because of um, the growth of social entrepreneurship, not only in sport for development, but also international development and the ways in which a lot of sport for development organizations are often dependent on donors or, or funders um, seeking to provide grants. And, and these organizations have to rely on those external funders, often from the global north. And so one of the most important things about this study is looking at the financial strategies, um, the tensions that exist when organizations are using social entrepreneurship, and looking more closely at how social entrepreneurship may be a way to actually move away from the so-called purse strings of donors in the field of sport for development. And also in terms of looking more closely at the bicycles for development, we think, you know, one of the goals of the broader study over the past five years has been to connect um, both the differences and similarities of bicycles for development organizations with that of sport for development and understanding how, you know, perhaps there's research or or findings such as as this research that we did that relates um, to both fields and also could shed new insights into sport for development piece. 
And to do that, to do this research, you took that institutional logic and social enterprises as hybrid organizations approach. Now, that makes logical sense. But uh, just for those uh, like me, perhaps, who don't have that in-depth knowledge on social enterprises, on hybrid organizations, can you tell us a bit more about that and, and why that was a useful approach to take in this research? Hybrid organizations are mostly those organizations that straddle different institutional fields or sectors. So they could be organizations that bring together public sector ideas, private sector ideas, and those logics and practices and values of different categories of business. And so social enterprises most of the time fall under that idea of a hybrid organization. They use both business-like praxis as well as a social mission. Um, and that social mission, however, has to be prioritized while placing market growth and profitability in a secondary role. But the main thing about social enterprises, um, and although you know, social enterprises and entrepreneurship is a contested term, is that they use business praxis to address a social problem. They seek to be innovative bring together these different ideas and logics as a hybrid organization to achieve their primary social mission. And so, you know, we adopted, which other, you know, scholars in the field use the institutional logics perspective to look at these kind of material practices and the assumptions, the values and beliefs, which organizations and practitioners use to provide meaning to their daily activities. So their sport for development practices, the way they run their organization and how they are using business practices and taking up, for example, market logic, such as, you know, commercial logic, okay, let's build profit, let's seek growth, financial growth, compared to, on the other hand, this social mission, or this social welfare logic, where, you know, their main priority should be to achieve that social mission. But when you're combining these two different logics, what we'll call just here commercial and social welfare, sometimes tensions can start to exist, um, because it's a paradox, right? You're looking, you know, you're using this praxis that really relate to more profit-oriented strategies, and then looking more at the social mission. So that's why we um, use that approach and um, we found it useful for kind of examining social enterprises and, and these hybrid organizations that we uh, researched. Yeah, my head's spinning just thinking about those two competing <laughs> objectives of these organizations, so uh, understandable. The context for this research was in Uganda, Canada, Nicaragua, India, and South Africa. Now, those are not countries you would automatically put together and think about for a research <laughs> of this type. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah, great question. And you're definitely right in saying that uh, sometimes the, that combination is not usually one which happens. Um, so for the larger project, we actually conducted field work in you know, those five countries, Canada, India, India, sorry, uh, Nicaragua, Uganda, and South Africa. And this study actually looked more closely at these bicycles for development executives or practitioners who run programs in some of those countries, but um, mostly in the study, a lot of them were international organizations. So, um, you know, World Bicycle Relief actually runs programs around the world. Then there's some organizations just existing in Canada. But how these countries kind of actually formed our overall project and how we came to decide on those countries was because Dr. Lindsay Hayhurst, who is the principal investigator of this study, has a lot of existing relationships with, you know, community partners, specifically in Uganda, Nicaragua. Canada. And so those were three countries that we worked with. And then we extended those relationships to look more closely within India uh, and South Africa. And we're still looking at looking through all that data from all five countries. It is a very long process, let me tell you, but very rewarding. And we're looking to do more of that comparative work amongst these five, you know, somewhat very different social and cultural countries in, in terms of the BFD work going on. And I can imagine that it also helps with get that generalization as well. So many different cultures and, and perspectives would be fantastic. Uh, and, and, but for this study in particular, you did 14 semi-structured interviews. 
how did that go when you've got all these different, again, perspectives, cultural backgrounds? How did those interviews work out? It was interesting. I mean, a lot of these interviews, mostly, I think all of them were um, over Zoom or, or Skype when Skype used to be popular. Now I think it's just gone, <laughs> but, um, and also over the phone. So it was interesting to see the different kind of perspectives, especially in terms of strategy. So, you know, some practitioners or executives were actually more so focused on just getting donated bicycles and then um, sending those to particular areas of the world, mostly in the global south. And then using them in some form of social program, whether that be education, whether that be health. In other ways, some interviewees really were more focused on actually paying for shipment of bicycles, whether they be donated bicycles, whether they be just damaged, um, and then we're looking to be repaired. And then some other organizations were very interested in actually buying bicycles within, for example, Zambia. So there's definitely different perspectives in terms of strategies as well. It was interesting, though, a lot of, to be honest, of the practitioners, other than a few were from, you know, say Canada or the U.S., rather than those, and this is something in sport for development as well, when we're thinking about sport for development piece, rather than those countries where the programs are actually being implemented. Um, but we did find definitely different perspectives in terms of the strategies that were being used and, and how convinced certain practitioners were about certain strategies. And as you mentioned, you've got a lot of data. That was the fun part, right? Talking to everyone and collecting the data. Then comes the oh, difficult yeah. part. How did you go about analyzing all of that? Yeah. So in terms of analysis, we use actually a team-based approach. And first, we actually analyze inductively. Um, and you're right. This is maybe not the so much fun part. Data collection is definitely a bit more fun for me. But the analysis in a team-based kind of approach was actually quite fun in terms of comparing and contrasting our codes, our inductive codes that we kind of had first. And then we use more specifically those frameworks of social entrepreneurship and institutional logics to take a kind of deeper dive that was theoretically informed to analyze kind of those hybrid tensions, how certain ideas or assumptions or beliefs were kind of guiding practitioners and the work that they do um, and their organizations. And yeah, the team-based approach was actually quite, it was, it was really interesting for me because I'd never done a big, it was a four-person team-based approach and we were really just meeting weekly to um, talk about our codes and kind of, you know, bounce ideas off each other. And I found that, you know, I, I've done, I guess, co-researchers with another person, um, but not team data analysis like this. So I found that approach to be very interesting and, and kind of fun, more fun than just me looking at the data, that's for sure. So, you know what, that actually does sound like fun. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was very skeptical coming in, but actually no, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, now, now, based on that, from the analysis, what were those important findings you got from this, from this data? And one thing I will mention with the team-based analysis, you know, we, we got to have like a beer sometimes. So that was the, also a good part of it, but <laughs> I don't know if I should say on the podcast. But anyways, um, um, so yeah, in terms of the findings, there's three kind of key ones that we found in terms of one, the financial strategies of BFD social enterprises. And that was in regard to what I kind of previously mentioned. Um, so some organizations that were not um, actually adopting a straight, you know, a very clear social enterprise structure actually relied more on donors and funders for financial capacity, where what we found was other organizations use partnerships as a social enterprise business tactic. And so in many ways, this was a way to have an end goal and create a economically self-sustainable situation for the Bicycle for Development organization. And so just a quick example, you know, World Bicycle Relief um, has a Buffalo bike, um, which they wholly own and, and they operate as this arm of their organization, a for-profit arm. 
even though they are actually a nonprofit organization. But this for-profit arm, you know, manufactures, designs, and then they sell the bicycle to numerous kind of stakeholders. That includes governments, you know, non-governmental organizations, corporations around the world. And then they use those profits to actually reinvest into their philanthropic programs. And they sell these bicycles also in local and national-based shops around the world. Um, so they're also trying to enhance, you know, local capacity um, and livelihood opportunities, and then using those funds to really achieve their social mission. So, you know, that's one unique and very well-developed, I'll be honest, social enterprise uh, within the bicycle for development field. And then the second, you know, another main finding we found was those institutional environment considerations of the social enterprises uh, and the hybrid organization. So in terms of this, and this is one of the areas we really thought would be important to add to the existing, you know, sport for development and peace literature, is that the physical um, environment, so civil unrest, corruption, legal environment, you know, important export laws, taxation and currencies, and then the physical environment in terms of water supply and bicycle ter terrain was really paramount to decision making um, about social enterprise activity and bicycles for development for these organizations. So, you know, just a quick example was in terms of fluctuating currencies. So there was one organization just due to the taxation laws around importing bicycles, which sometimes we don't think about so much in sport for development, I, I would say, just because, you know, they're actually importing bicycles. Um, was too expensive. And then they weren't able to actually achieve their social mission because the financial aspect of their work was just too challenging. Um, and that actually uh, resulted in that organization pulling out from the country um, that they are working within. And they said to us, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if bicycles are actually getting to the places where they are needed most. Um, and you can kind of see there that in terms of the institutional environment, just how influential that is in terms of you know, these hybrid organizations and how they operate and how they achieve that primary social mission. And third is in terms of those hybrid tensions. So Paris Evanson has done a lot of work, as I mentioned, and Catherine Ron on these institutional logics and these tensions of hybrid organizations. Are these, you know, social welfare logic and the market logic, are they compatible or are they actually creating challenges? And so, you know, we found in some ways it was creating challenges. So some organizations discuss, um, you know, like I said, the financial side is not working the social programs are not reaching who is intended. And so therefore the social mission not being kind of accomplished. On the other hand, um, you see with organizations such as World Bicycle Relief that they have been able to achieve legitimacy with some stakeholders by selling their bicycles, but also saying, saying hey, you know, this is a bicycle that's not only, you know, suited to local terrain in some geographical areas, but also we are achieving our social mission. And then on the other hand, you know, hiring and the workforce composition of some social enterprises in our study um, brought up considerable tensions of those competing social market bottom lines. Um, so, for example, one organization, instead of hiring their intended kind of, I guess, target group, although that's not the best word, instead of hiring, you know, it's a historically marginalized population, they actually started hiring people with business and entrepreneurial training, which, again, relates more back to that kind of market, market logic and growth. And this was due to a number of factors, again, the institutional environment, but also um, relates to some of Sevenson's work that talks about this increased integration of corporate values into charitable approaches. And so this to us pointed to in some ways um, the market tendencies and, and contradictory business values within you know, social entrepreneurship, sport for development, and bicycles for development. Some fascinating findings there. I know you mentioned some of the, the theoretical implications there as well, but, but just from that theoretical perspective, what does this all mean? How did this advance our understanding? 
And that's the that's the big thing, right? You got to connect it all. Um, so in terms of uh, you know the hybrid organization, institutional logics literature, um, it did reflect and kind of build on um, mostly that that difficulty of balancing the social and economic goals, the logics without prioritizing that market logic. So we did find that we found that in some ways sometimes market aims were prioritized over social aims. Now in terms of actually building on it and perhaps extending it in some more nuanced ways was that this common view of this paradox, the nature of social and market logics um, that may often privilege this market logic or going further, this neoliberal ethos in social entrepreneurship organizations, which has been found. But what we found in some cases, particularly with um, World Bicycle Relief and other organization that we talked about in the article, Bicycling Empowerment Network, is that through sales of their own product, through creating their own revenue, and having this self-sufficient model that is generated by their social enterprise actually enhances their organizational existence. And more importantly, is looking at how that compatibility of social market logics can actually be balanced quite well and achieve legitimacy with external stakeholders. And we saw that in, in somewhat fewer cases within this study, but also importantly that you know this is working. And not only that it's working, but it's working in locally relevant ways, which is really important for sport for development and peace and bicycling for development. So their organizations are in some ways being self-sufficient, but they're also ensuring that local communities are being impacted. They're working with local communities in collaboration, and they're building in some ways the social, economic, and, and cultural kind of, I wouldn't say status, but more so in the way that they're working closely within that context with um, the local populations. And so that was, that's what we found that kind of contested some ideas around not only um, social entrepreneurship and hybrid organizations, but also sport for development. Of course, another really important aspect is the practical implications of this. And, and so if they did come to you, uh, as I'm sure they will, Mitch, um, <laughs> what are we going to do? How do we help these organizations? How do we help social entrepreneurship and support for development initiatives? Mm -hmm, definitely. And that's, you know, that's a big question as well. And uh, I hope people do come, hopefully. <laughs> but um, yeah, so in terms of, you know, practical implications, there's a couple of things we suggested. One was that support for development which many organizations are already doing, and bicycle for development organizations should seek to maybe focus their efforts on creating sustainable methods or models uh, using big business practices, but that do effectively balance and are reflective of those blending of multiple logics. And the reason we think that, and this article was, you know, written before kind of the impact of COVID and it was going through the review process, but um, one of the big things now is that in sport for development, the sector, is that innovation has been seen, like you know, many areas of the sport industry moving to online and virtual programs, but also thinking about how innovation and entrepreneurship could inform the future of the field. So although this wasn't so much in the article, one thing is, is that considering how sport organizations have adapted, how could social entrepreneurship and the blending of multiple logics really benefit the field moving into the future? Um, and so that's why we would suggest that focus on these sustainable business models, particularly because, you know, sport for development has been affected so greatly in, around the world. And then the second is that by considering these social and commercial purposes, we really do think that by balancing these hybrid tensions, organizations might be able to have improved flexibility to access additional resources as well as sources of organizational legitimacy. Um, and that's a big thing in terms of looking at the way social enterprises combine you know, those resources from public, private, and other uh, not-for-profit sectors. And then lastly, 
is one big thing in terms of these social enterprises is that being able to specifically identify and clarify their dual missions, that those social market logics is very important for not only sustainability of the program, but to appeal to stakeholders. Um, so that could be participants of programs, communities, donors, governments, and really to be able to say, this is how we balance these dual missions, but also this is how it helps us achieve our primary social mission. And in that way, we believe that um, organizations are able to attract and secure future financial support. And if you want to hear more about the idea of, of explaining the mission, we did a podcast with, with Pess Benson as well yeah, on a yeah. similar topic. So please uh, <laughs> check that out. But yeah. Mitch, fantastic advice. It, it sounds achievable. It sounds like something that, that can be implemented by these organizations. And of course, they should read your paper as well. That, that would help too, I, I would suggest. <laughs> but uh, it's been fantastic talking. Uh, thanks so much, Mitch. Thank you, Vitor. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research that's been published, including the article discussed in this episode, Colliding Mandates of Social Enterprises, Exploring the Financial Strategies, Environment and Social Market Tensions of Bicycle for Development Organizations. That's it for this episode, but of course, there are many more you can listen to on your favorite podcast player. And if you could follow the podcast and give us a five-star rating, that'd be great too. Until next time, it's bye for now.